Hello everyone and welcome to another Scots Way podcast and it's one of our Scottish Opera special podcasts and today we're joined by resident stage manager John Duncan. Hello John. Hello. Um, and I should say you might hear a bit of ambient noise in the background and that's because we are in the hallowed building of the Theatre Royal. Um, you're in the middle of uh, Tosca at the yeah, moment. Yeah that's right, Yeah, we opened last week. Yes. And um, we're here for another, for the rest of this week before moving on to Aberdeen. Excellent. And uh, so there may be a bit of traffic noise or whatever outside, but it all adds to the, the feel of the piece, I hope. Um, so first question for you, John, is could you tell us a bit about your role at Scottish Opera? Well, my role and the rest of my department, there's four of us in the department. We're responsible for the running of rehearsals and the performances, check everything starts in time, everybody's safe, everyone gets on and off the stage, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that's not it. Um, but so, as you mentioned there, there's, there's more than um, one person role, it's a team. Um, so, could you say a bit about the dynamic of the team? I mean, what's the structure of it? The structure, um, we have a deputy stage manager who's more or less like the pilot of the ship. Um, during a performance, they sit at prompt corner and they control all the cues and the timing of them. So they speak to all other departments, such as lighting, uh, stage crew, the flying people, and they call. So every time a piece of scenery moves or a light changes, they are operating that, following the musical score. So wherever we are in the country, at that point in the music, the curtain will fly out at that point or a light will change at that point. So it's a really concentrated job they do. And then our two assistant stage managers basically handle the movement of the cast and chorus on and off the stage. They actually tell them when to go on. Right. Which sounds really odd. It doesn't happen in any other form of theatre, such as plays and dances. Oh, really? Very, very particular to opera. And as well as that, checking all the props are set, checking everything's in the right place. So, so why is that specific to opera, that role of telling I don't actually know. <laughs> it's just one of these things. It's one of those happened. things. I guess... With opera, there's big gaps sometimes in the performance schedules, so you're not doing it every single day. And also, I think the timing of, especially you've got big pieces of scenery moving, etc., you send that person on on that note of music, and everything else is structured around that, so it's safe. Right. And yes. also, sometimes we can have people who are coming in last minute to step into a role. Mm -hmm. We might know, we'll know it vocally to sing it, but won't know where they're meant to go on from or when they're meant to go on. Oh, that's so sometimes we just push them on and yeah. <laughs> good luck once you're on the stage. <laughs> um, so how did you come to this role? What was your kind of journey to get to this? My journey, yeah, it's, it's a weird one. I mean, I, I knew from the age of three, I've got a very special connection with Perth and Perth Repertory Theatre. Oh, right. But sadly it doesn't exist anymore and it's such a shame. But by the way, I got taken there because... Um, one half of my family are from Perth, so we'd go there every Christmas and every holidays to, to visit my grandmother. And I was always taken to the theatres. With three years old, I saw my first pantomime and announced I was going to work in the theatre. Oh, wow. <laughs> so at age of three, that's what I wanted to do. Um, went through the usual school. I was very lucky. I went to Sean's Academy. We had a really good drama department, so we did lots of school productions. But I was also into music, and again, was very lucky in those days that there was opportunity for you to learn instruments. Right. I'd be tutored free of charge at school, so I started on the clarinet and piano and moved on to saxophone, so my ability to read music and stuff is very, very strong, and played in various school orchestras in Glasgow and Strathclyde. Right. And then from that, decided... I wanted to go to drama school, but at that point didn't know what I really wanted to do. I sort of had this 
idea I was going to be an actor than I didn't want to. And I discovered a one-year foundation course that I just started. Right. We basically got a broad education and everything, a bit of acting, all the stagecrafts, design. And from that, I then decided I discovered what this stage management thing was and went to college in Edinburgh for three years to study stage management. And from that, um, the journey started. But mine's always been a bit of a strange one. I didn't have a clear what I wanted to be, but it was an assistant stage manager, deputy stage manager. And this was also the time to get work, you had to have an equity card. Right, so even in stage management, yeah, things like that, you had, okay. to, work, you had to work for, I think it was 48 weeks before you get an equity card. But then you couldn't work unless, then you couldn't get an equity card unless you were working. So th- this came about a very strange way. I'd got a job as a dresser. Um, working in the wardrobe department at the pavilion for one of the pantomimes. Right. And the producer of that, sadly no longer with us, a great Scottish guy, Glasgow guy called Jamie Phillips, who owned this huge production company down in London called Trends, who were associated with um, a dance group called the Second Generation Dancers. And they were every Saturday night television programme in the 70s and 80s. Okay. They were the dancers and the choreographer called Dougie Squires. So when I was dressing there, he knew I wanted to get my equity card and he said I've got a gig, a gig coming up for eight months in Cannes at Palm Beach Casino he said it's, it's a massive floor show sort of very much like the Folly Berger things. he said I just need somebody to come and deal with all the costumes and basically just do everything and he said what I'll do is I should say this and I'll put in trouble I'll put you down that you're a dancer and that way you'll get your equity card wow yeah and that's what happens well, it seemed to be something like that had to happen yeah. to, to actually get... Yeah, it was a week to get in that way. And then from that, I came full circle and a job opening came up at Perth Theatre. And I got it, which was deputy stage manager, and I stayed there for four years. And it was just fantastic because in those days, Perth Rep ran from August right through to June. We would do 16 wow. productions in that season with one group of actors... And it was two and a half weekly reps, so you'd open a, a play. As soon as that was opened, you started rehearsing the next one during the day while doing the previous one at night. And we just churned them out, everything you can think of. So I did about 62 productions at Perth. And we did everything in-house. We found all the props, the costumes, the scenery was all made. And just got to work with I mean, actors who were incredible, because one day, you know, at night time, they could be rehearsing, they could be performing... Um, I remember a really particular hard one um, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf and the guy who was playing um, I can't remember the main character's name but during the day he was rehearsing because he was the dame in the pantomime and just <laughs> the, and it was yeah. what I call real proper actors yeah. because they had to play anything everything everything you could think of it's, it sounds a bit um, my background's in catering and I went to catering college but I learnt so much more actually in a kitchen you know in the kind of a, a every day, what happens every day, and the problems that comes up. Yeah, it and I mean, similar. we were, I, mean, I suppose, we were very lucky because I mean, we were running backstage, and we were all under thirty. You know, mm. I mean, the responsibility that the fantastic artistic director Joan Knight, who'd already at that point had been there for twenty-one years, and that was a woman who ran the building as well as directing the plays. I mean, she would come in the morning. The first thing she'd do was like check all the front of house was fine, like had the toilets been cleaned, she'd test in the restaurant what the food was like every day, welcomed the audience to the theatre, just one of those incredible, incredible mentors and people yeah. to work with. So she decided to retire, and I just knew it would never, ever be the same. So you thought you were... So left, and a job came up 
which was something I had no real interest in at the time, but I thought it would be quite interesting, and joined a dance company called Northern Ballet. Right. And stayed with them for 13 years. <laughs> so I was there as deputy stage manager, and then very quickly through, like I say, my path's never been a planned one. There was a big change in staff and management, things happened, and next minute I was company manager, mm. which I did for 11 years, which was quite... I mean, we toured all the time. We're doing seven performances a week, taking out three separate ballets with a company of 40 dancers up and down the country. So wow. those big journeys line from Plymouth up to Aberdeen and back down to Leeds and across to Canterbury. It's, it was full on. And as a company manager, dealing with the dancers, being the link between them and our headquarters back in Leeds, dealing with all the front of house stuff. You know, you're guessing, you had to look after them. And it was just... Well, I guess it's something that people don't um, think about much, but the the taking that size, I suppose, with Scottish Opera as well, you know, moving a production of a, a fair size across the place is all these different Yeah, problems. yeah, and we did, you know, depending where we're going as well, sometimes you have to book accommodation for everyone, especially when we went on. We're very lucky, we did quite a lot of foreign tours. Um, we were one of the first big British companies to do quite extensive tours of China, which was really eye-opening, and just all the the things that brings as well when you go to a country where you where you are the foreigner and it's it's very interesting yeah. to be on the other side of so it's, of it's part of your role just making sure that everything is in place in yes, that sense not just way. on the stage but off stage as well yeah I mean you're meant to be highly organised uh, you do kind of need to know everything that's going on from whatever it is and you know you're also dealing sometimes with a lot of Problems which no one else will know about because we're trying to keep everything yeah, smooth. Right. On the outside, someone said, "Society uh, management being like swans; they move gracefully along the water, but underneath the, with the, the lights." <laughs> I mean, and how does it? Because with Scottish Opera in particular, there are different sizes of productions, as we've, we've spoken about. You know, you've, um, the, the educational tours and the the opera highlights tour, and then of course big things like. Tosca at the Theatre Royal. What different challenges does that throw up? The process is the same, whether it's even, you know, as you say, if it's one of the education pro- projects or something as big as Tosca, the process is still the same. There will still be rehearsals, and from those rehearsals, information will come out which has to be taken to all the other departments. And so you're sort of coordinating rehearsal notes, and then it, it, I guess it's down to size. I mean, on huge things like Tosca, we've got tons of stage crew and yeah. wardrobe and lighting and all these staff on the smaller tours it can just be the stage manager on their own yes, yes, yes. so it's just it's but it's exactly the same with, and sometimes the smaller projects are harder than the huge ones because often you'll be in spaces which aren't necessarily built for absolutely for what you're be doing. how do you physically get things into buildings like schools you know yeah. with the car park and you've got you know, 17 flights of stairs to get up somewhere and how that would get in um, and also depends on the main house it depends what the production is if it's something brand brand new we've done a few lately um, with a brand new operas and there's right. no history behind them so the music is new which is for the cast is sometimes a challenge as well mm-hmm. and so there's, there isn't anything you can kind of learn from um, if we do a traditional opera the first thing there's one coming up which we haven't done we'll only spend a couple of weeks just listening to the music and with our scores to really learn that side of it up because mm-hmm. we have to know that music inside out um, I, um, and I think 
just to finish your, we left you with Northern Bali. Yes. Oh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so how Northern, did you move from there to Northern Bali? It was actually quite. It, it just it was one of those things. I mean, I loved it, and I would still be there now. But this, as a Glasgow boy, I kind of felt it was. I wanted to get back into Scotland, and it was just one of those lucky things that came around. A job came up in the same week. Just started the National Theatre of Scotland and Scottish Opera, so I went for both positions and got both, and I decided to choose Scottish Opera. Can we ask why that was your choice? Was there any reason in particular? Was it just something I wasn't different? quite sure about National Theatre Scotland because it was still in its early right, okay. days, mm-hmm. and I thought, I'll go, I'll go for Scottish Opera. <laughs> so, and you've been here for how long now? <clears throat> 13 years. <laughs> So, uh, apart from uh, what you mentioned earlier about it being the only um, form of theatre where you send someone on, what are the differences between what you've done elsewhere in opera? Um, the, the sheer scale of the productions, the amount of people you work with. Right. Because, I mean, we work, we, we work with everybody at some point or have to deal with everybody at some point in the course of the day, um, you know, in relation with even the orchestra. Usually it starts, well, the theatre usually starts because there's a draft in the pit and that comes to us and then we have to find someone from the building who can work out where this draft is coming from. Oh, that's and interesting. That's one t- tiny thing. It's so it's a problem I'm solving that's yeah. part of the role. It's a huge part of the role. It is. I mean, I suppose that is my biggest one. I'm there for when it might start going wrong and how we get out of it. It's so interesting because it's just all these things that I'd never thought about, not just in opera, but any form of theatre. But, you know, you think uh, the orchestra have all got their seats and they sit down and, and they play and that and they go and that's it. But, of course, the different sized places will cause different problems. Different them. problems. And, it's you know, again, it's making sure everyone's there ready to start in time. Um, problem with big shows, things like Tosca, which get towards that point where they're almost three hours in running mm. time, that's where it's absolutely vital. We start in time. The intervals are kept to the exact time they should be because if these things start to stretch out and we go over the three-hour mark, this becomes a very expensive business. Ah, okay, that's interesting. So yeah, we are clock watchers, and yeah, and especially we're quite proud in this one because we've kind of beaten the theatre royal <laughs> thing of starting five minutes late this time by going up every night, bang on time. Which yeah. It's taken a long time to find our witchcraft ways of doing that, but we've managed it this time around. So it just means it's more because there's nothing worse when you see the can getting towards three hours and you, you know there's still five minutes to go. Yeah, uh, those kind of constraints you just don't think about in the audience, of course you don't. Um, so what, uh, what have been the biggest challenges that you've had in the role? I suppose it'd be almost too many to mention. <laughs> it's funny because people say it's a challenge, but when you've been doing something that it, it's in your body so when we're doing big rehearsals and on stage or putting stuff together for the first time it doesn't really phase me mm-hmm. because I inherently know what to do which sounds very big headed no not I, at all I think if you've been doing just, a role for the long time you have you, it becomes yeah I mean it. the challenges are I think the more technical a production is and the coordinating with all these aspects and cast they can be very long, slow processes of putting the two together, and that's where time can run away, but you've right. got to take the time. Um, production we just did lately, Breaking the Waves, we had the extra problem of a revolve, okay. which 
moved countless times at various speeds. So that's the, sta the stage moving. Yeah, isn't it? the stage moving. It was coordinating people and props and furniture getting on and off while that was turning, and also we link that up with all the lighting projection effects. So just putting all that together slowly and then having to alter it slightly till we eventually got what the creative team wanted for that section. Mm -hmm. That's a very slow process. Whereas something like Tosca, <clears throat> which I was lucky enough did in 2012, to put something like that back together is very, very easy because it's known. I mean, it's yeah. almost like a, an IKEA kit. You ah, just open yeah. it up again and all the information's there. I mean, we altered some things and I think the set got refurbished. Bob Dixon changed the lighting, which I think is much better than it was in 2012. Some of the costumes have been changed. So it, it still feels fresh, even though it's that age, but it was a much easier process to put it on because yeah. all the information's there. From what you were saying, though, and it's your team of four that are moving everything around, or do you have other help? Well, we have, I mean, all our stage crew and people will operate that, but it's just how you coordinate all the timings because, you know, say you send the revolve cue and you want it, you work out in the music, at this point in music it's going to move, and by this point in the music we want it to be in this position. So you have to work out, right, how long will that take? And then they'll say, oh, we quite like it, but could it start slow, then speed up a little bit and then just <laughs> slow down as it gets there? So then that then all has to be reworked out. Yeah. I was just thinking, because in, in this production of Tosca in particular, the three different acts are three spectacularly different stages. Yeah. You know, you're inside the church, then you're inside yeah. indoors, and then you're outside at the end. And you well, know, Our biggest you... challenge for that was yesterday, because what the audience see, the curtain comes in, and in that 20 minutes, and it's pretty much right up to that 20 yeah, minutes it takes to change it round. So yesterday we had the unwrap performance, and we were doing bits from each of the acts. So we had to do the scene change, and the audience could watch us doing it, which suddenly becomes a completely different thing when you're being watched, and all our crew, you know, we would put, that was almost 16 people working to move that set, but being watched while doing yeah, it yesterday. Yeah, yeah. So we had to change some of the things we did. <laughs> Maybe it wasn't so much shouting. As <laughs> I was going to say, you trouble, mind your language. Um, but it's incredible to think that um, while everyone's off having a drink and a chat, that there's this huge industry going on behind it that. Is, it is, I mean, every department's busy because once the set has been changed, our electricians then have to refocus lights or set lights round that set mm. to light it, and they all have to be checked in the right position. Our wardrobe department are changing costumes, and some intervals it can be complete makeup wig changes happening yeah. to people as well. So, in that twenty minutes, there's an awful lot going on mm. which the audience don't know about. And you know the famous saying is never work with animals and children, <laughs> but you've done both. Yes. <laughs> so what what problems does that? Oh, uh, all, I mean, it's, first of all, it's just how you get them in and out of the building and where they're going to live when they're in the building. Not the children, the animals. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes, let's make that clear. clear. And again, it's all, it's all coordination with all the other departments. You know, whoever, I suppose the famous example is from last season, George the Horse, who was in um, Eugene Onegin. Yeah. That was quite an event to work out when he arrived in his horse box at the theatre, then to get him into the backstage area, yeah. then to get him on the stage, and then to get him to climb through a French window, which was bizarre anyway, and then what we would do if 
something happened, yeah. which of course something did happen on a couple of occasions. And uh, the, um, the, what would I say, the emergency action that was taken to clean up the mess that he left on stage and then get him out again. Now, it was bizarre with a couple of performances where we didn't send him on because it was a most awkward, odd question to ask, like, has he been? Yes. If he hadn't been before curtain up, then he wouldn't do his big entrance because we worked out that was the problem. Yeah, that's fascinating. Um, and I take it with all these things, there's forms you got to fill well, in and risk, people, risk it. I mean it's, it's good these things of should course, be I mean, absolutely it is we did ridiculous things when I think about it mm. now and I suppose it was common sense you kind of knew what not to do but nowadays no it's quite right everything has to be yeah. risk assessed everything has to be practised everything has to be looked at I mean this time in Tosca um, we actually got even though the jump has been done many times we got um, a stunt advisor in and immediately she just said you need a completely different crash mat because right. just times have changed. Yes. And she said I can recommend this, by the way, it's it'll break the fall much easier, all the rest. And then she rehearsed with her two Toscas and went through the whole way. Because it sounds easy, it'll just jump. <laughs> yes. But it's not, it was the right I'll catch you. Yeah, it was the right way to land on this. And yeah. how you could do it guaranteeing you won't hurt yourself in any respect and just going through that. So, yeah, no, it's good that we've got these measures in place nowadays. And often there are productions. Um, where a you have to almost come onto the stage, aren't there? And there are yeah. certain things that need during the performance. Yeah. I was thinking you've probably got a lot of black in your wardrobe. Yes, <laughs> for those many reasons. But how does that work? I mean, is it just something that you have to um, build into the performance? Or just, I just I was thinking when I was writing the questions that they always used to say about football referees they've had a good game if you didn't notice they were there and I yeah. was guessing it's yeah. really a similar type of it thing it is I mean some productions we're on stage you won't see us because we'll be behind maybe a piece of furniture or a prop or, or bits of a set where we're doing things during the action but you won't know we're there or there's times you're actually on stage but you can't be seen because you're in black or you're on stage in costume which happens sometimes uh, going back to Perth it was quite common that if a play needed a couple of extra people or something, stage management was ex- were expected to go on and play these roles. It just, yeah. it just appeared in quite a few productions there. Have you still got a uh, dancer on your CV? We've never been asked to step in. We're actually laughing um, quite recently. One of our chorus members, Sandra Haxton, who also works at the reception at Eddington Street quite often, when I was at Perth Theatre, she was coming to be in a production of Mikado we're doing mm-hmm. and she just left uh, so we RSAMD in those days after her opera training and Joe and I asked her oh we're doing an Agatha Christie play to start the season there's a small role would you consider taking it and she went yes and there was a smaller role right at the top which I played so we actually performed together are we back in 1992 and here we are in Tosca <laughs> all that time later so it's, it's, it's a small world um, and over the years, have you had any favourite productions that you've enjoyed working on? I've probably got I've got more favourite ones than not favourite ones, yeah. which is a good sight. I mean, it's, I, I'm a big sucker for big tunes, so all the Verdi's and the Puccini's, I can't go. I'm not a huge fan of modern music. Mm-hmm. I just can't. If there's not a big tune there, 
I don't know, it just doesn't do it. It doesn't for me. grab you yeah. in the same way. I mean, you work on it and you deal with it and you have really good productions, but it doesn't. I mean, that that is the thing. Every night we get to stand there in the wings and you hear that music being played. Yeah. Sometimes you actually forget it's been played live. Yeah. You forget it's there. You know, you've got 70, 80 people down in that pit. Did you sing that? What are you, you mentioned that sometimes you do brand new operas and increasingly maybe that's the case that there's new productions. And what challenges does that um, present to you? I mean, how do you have to almost go straight from the beginning and think, okay, you know, exactly where is everyone going to be? And, and, and is that information, whole company... That information comes from the rehearsal room with the right. director. Before we go into it, we know mostly what the set will look like. And we're very lucky at Scottish Opera because things are so far planned. We can usually get most of that set in the rehearsal room for day one, mm-hmm. which is great because you're already on on the big machine, as it were. Yeah. And then as we stage it, the director will say, OK, at that point, you're going to come on from here or all of these people will come on from here. We already have the props list of stuff, but things might be added in, like, well, actually, we'll need an extra cup or, oh, right, that chair's not strong enough for what I want to do, so that information gets passed back. And then we start to work out how the scene changes or pieces of scenery that are moving during that action, when that will happen. So that's where we work really closely with the director and the designer, mm-hmm. so building up how the machine works and put all the cogs together so it turns. And that's what we do in the rehearsal room for three or four weeks. Right. And then from that, it's then moved on to the stage and we carry on adding all the other elements into it mm-hmm. and then eventually add the orchestra and that's it. And, that, and has there ever been a time where something that you've discussed in rehearsals by the time it's got to stage, you just went, no, this, you know... Yeah, it, no, it, it does, it does happen. Um, not as much as you probably think, but we can just maybe just discover that the amount of stuff that has to be moved is just impossible. So I've seen where some scenery has been cut down um, maybe the sequence of events we change when it starts to allow it to be finished by mm-hmm. a point. So because I was just in mean, Scottish Opera in particular, that have got some incredible um, moving scenery while it's on stage. I'm thinking of moving bridges yeah. and, and revol- as you said, revolving stages and things like that. And uh, it's a huge undertaking to get all that uh, together. I would imagine from somebody's maybe not sketch, but you know what I mean, initial idea. Yeah. To Presenting that on stage. But that's basically how it starts. It starts with a sketch. Yeah. And then from there it'll be turned into a model. And then from there it all has to be priced and worked out can we afford to do it? And then, you know, things might be altered to get it down to what fits within the budget. So you have the machine and then it's the job of right, how does this machine work? (laughs) And that's what we find out. I'm interested in what it was. I'm going right back to the beginning and the three-year-old watching the panto. What, what can you think? What it was about that that wanted you to get involved in theatre? Just was an exciting world. Yeah, I still remember. I can still remember even from that age. It was just something about this magical world. Because you know, I think I remember going to pantomimes maybe a wee bit older than that, and um, find it quite overwhelming. I think. But, you know, there was just not just noise on the stage, but there was noise in the... I guess it depends on the, the different pantomime as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, mean, I, think, I think it does. I mean, I think it's, they can still be really... I think there's an age... When I used to work, and we, we did quite a few at Perth, and I did quite a few at the Pavilion, um, is just... It can, be, it can be too much. I think there's an age 
where it's not really suitable. I just think anything like that, there's just too many people yeah. in the audience and too much happening for a child to actually be able to <laughs> What's deal going with. on? Quite, that, I think that's my memory of uh-huh. early pantomime. And do you have kind of any advice for it, for anyone listening who would maybe want to be involved in, in what you do in the stage? Because it does seem... If you know, with your love of the theatre, you've kind of got the perfect job because it's involved with the whole thing. Absolutely. I mean, again, it was like I never knew what stage management was. I hadn't really heard about it mm. until I, I went to this first college thing. So I think if you like working in the theatre, you've got an interest, but you don't want to be a performer. Um, it's even worth like joining amateur dramatic groups or your school groups yeah. and stuff like that first to see if you can get in and get a taste for it. And then just research. I mean, there's so much stuff nowadays on social media, like YouTube, like a day in the life of a stage manager. Right, yes, yes. All the companies do here, especially what they do in America and New York and Broadway and stuff, with huge documentaries about what a stage manager is. So you can get a lot of information. So if you want to know, there's there's lots of information out there. Yeah, there wasn't in my old days. But I still think uh, for a lot of people, an an interview like this is is certainly interesting for me because a lot of people won't think... You know, they probably have heard the term stage manager yeah. and not really thought much about uh, what goes on. I was chatting to some of my colleagues just the other day and I was saying, I actually can't remember how we managed to do all that without computers and mobile phones. <laughs> yes. and, but we did. But I, yeah. don't, I can't think how we did it. Megaphones across <laughs> the... And you never um, regret not... Being an actor or being under the lights? You no, never have that. no, not at all. I wouldn't say it's something I wouldn't consider in the way we future because I am... I'd fancy, but I think I, I'd want to be old because I think that was the whole thing is I was never going to be a young leading man, so I think once I get <laughs> old and grisly, I'm, I'm sure there'll be room for a new old face in this business. <laughs> That's not bad. Thing. Well, well, I had a friend who went to drama college when uh-huh. he was fifty and has not looked back. Oh, really? That's fascinating. Because he's just a new old face. Yeah. Ah, so it's never too late. It's never too late. I'll never say never. <laughs> <laughs> well, John, I think that's the perfect place to leave it. So thank you very much for thank talking you. to us. And we'll be back very soon with someone else from Scottish Opera. See you then. Cheers. <laughs>